When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I wonder if there's a way to see everybody at once on my phone. There is. Yeah, I think you swipe to the right. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> Austin. Seriously. <laughs> We've got Austin Eckler giving Jordan tech support I got on you. our Zoom call. That has, that has, <laughs> I was going to mention this after, but as you're planting seeds, we should talk about whether you want to do some stuff more often with us in the offseason, like non-football stuff, like tech support. <laughs> Like replacing guys whose computers don't work, maybe. Yeah. You know. Jordan also has some light bulbs that are out if you want to swing by. Yeah. yeah. Jordan, what day is recycling for you? So Austin knows when to come by your place. I got your back, man. I got your back. Eight to shoot. Paul, the runner. Loose ball. It's good. With 4.4 to go. Shannon. Don't want to fall. Shannon from the corner. The cry goes up both far and near for underdog, underdog, underdog. Joe Namath, number 12, has been the one big sideline. He's come down here and he says the Jets are going to win. In fact, he doesn't even predict it. He says, I guarantee a Jet victory. Oh my goodness, I ain't even in the guys' league. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. Underdog, underdog. They're bigger, faster, stronger, more experienced, and on paper, they're just better. Oh my goodness! The longest shot has won the Kentucky Derby! Rick Strike in a stunning, unbelievable upset! Shock and awe in college basketball! Underdog! Underdog. I expect you boys to go out there and not take this team lightly because I promise you, they're going to come at you with everything they've got. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. 11 seconds. You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Boy, George, the dream is alive. With speed of lightning, roar of thunder, fighting all who I guess there's only one thing left to do. Win the whole fucking thing. Welcome to the Underdogs Podcast. I don't know why I'm sing-songing the intro. Maybe it's because I went to Red Hot Chili Peppers last night and it was awesome. Welcome to the Underdogs Podcast. I'm Tom Haberstroh. That's Peter Keating. That's Jordan Brenner. And I can't wait for you guys to hear our tech advisor on the show, Austin Eckler, who also moonlights as a running back in the NFL. I'm glad he's on because when you sing, it makes me want to flee. Oh, that's good. Standing out. We're going to talk to Austin Eckler about all of our fantasy research, our holy grail questions that we always wanted to ask him. We are going to give him those questions and he's going to answer them brilliantly slot receivers whose biggest underdog this season is how to spot underrated breakout players in fantasy and whether he should be drafted number one overall adp because 
I don't know. I kind of felt like he was talking himself out of it. And then he came right back and sold the heck out of it. So we're going to talk to Austin Eckler. And we're also going to do the underdogs underdog draft where we're going to draft the underdogs, the doormats, the teams in Vegas that are at six and a half wins or fewer and track them for the rest of the season. I think we also have a segment we call Hot Fuzzy Balls. Did we settle on that name? Peter really wanted to talk about his balls, so... Fine, fine, fine. Hot Fuzzy Balls coming from Peter later in the show. But let's get to this interview with our tech advisor. Austin, how are you feeling coming out of preseason? And, and are you doing anything different or in particular to manage the balance of the season, which now has less preseason action and an extra regular season game? Yeah, I mean, you know, we kind of got a taste of it last year, too, um, with Coach Staley. You know, we've had the same, the same, I guess, regiment going from last year and brought it back this year where we didn't get any live action into the first game, um, which... It, it's strange. It's definitely different, but I actually talked to coach steady. He said, you'll thank me later uh, in the season. And I was like, I thought about it. I was like, yeah, probably like, you know, if it takes a, a couple series or things like that to actually get ready for like, Hey, getting tackled and things like that. Um, that's worth it to not have to go through all the preseason games. But for the most part, we're practicing, I guess, 90% of the way of, of all full contact, right. You're just not going to the ground. Um, so I feel like our bodies are ready, but you know, it, it definitely is different. Who's been the hardest preseason that you can remember in your entire lifetime? The hardest preseason, probably rookie year. I mean, especially as an undrafted guy, like, because there was so much uncertainty for me then. Didn't know if I was going to make the team. I stayed six string the entire time. I didn't move up on the depth chart. I was getting scout team, special teams reps were like my main reps. And so just the stress level of that and knowing that I don't know what's happening was, uh, one of the probably the toughest things that I had to overcome in, in my football career. So last week, Austin, we had the football scientist on the show, Casey Joyner, who writes like a, a book about the NFL, like a tome, um, the size of a, of a, of a small building every year. Okay. And w- we got a digital copy of it. We asked him the question, who do you think is the sneaky Super Bowl contender this year? And this is, this is the expert of experts. And he named the Chargers. Mm. Look, I mean, you, you got to look at it from our perspective, right? Like as an analysis, sure, you can make these assumptions. But for us in the actual game, in the actual heat of playing, like we have to focus on week to week, you know, and you hear this all the time, but it's it, it's because it's true. You know, we can't, I'm not even thinking about Super Bowl. I'm not even thinking about the next game, you know, <laughs> like, I, like we have to beat the Raiders, right? If we don't do that, we ain't going anywhere, right? And so I think what really what it comes down to is us putting in week to week work, and then our results should speak for itself, right? The results of what we do week to week will speak to if we're going to the playoffs, because that would be hey, if we're doing the right things, we're putting our consistency on the field, showing that every single week we should have a winning record, we should be making a run. Um, so for us, it's really to focus on the consistency. Yeah, if we make it, that's great, but that would be a result of us focusing on the moment at the time. So we are the underdogs podcast. So we spent the last few weeks trying to look for signals for underdogs, both in fantasy and actual football. Is there Let's talk fantasy first. Is there something that you might look for as a fantasy player 
in trying to find a guy who's maybe a little underrated going into the season, some sort of clue, whether it's an opportunity, whether it's a type of offense he's in. What do you look for in trying to find an under-the-radar guy who's going to break out? Under-the-radar guy. Yeah. I mean, if, if you have the formula for that, then you know, you're going to make a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, there's definitely some luck into it. But um, I guess you could see maybe some things you can look at. It's like, hmm, like what's the workload for the guy or the guy in front of him? Um, you know, th- these are things that are, are are common, like common knowledge, but, you know, putting it together might not be as obvious, but like, let's, for instance, like uh, even in my situation, I'm going into year six, you know, we know that, you know, I'm not very vocal about, Hey, like, or I am vocal about like, Hey, like I want someone to help split reps with me, help take the load off so I can make it through the entire season. Um, so just looking at things like that, where it's like, Hey, this guy, you know, has had some wear and then there's shown some talent behind him. You know, another example is, um, you know, over at the Cowboys, even at that running back spot, um, things like that, where it's like, you got Zeke, you know, he's going into year seven, you got Pollard right behind him. It's like Pollard's shown he's had some potential, man. Like they're going to give this guy reps. So I don't, I don't even know if I, I you consider him an underdog. Um, like if, if you're going to find the next Austin Eckler, like good luck. Cause there's no media on, on a guy like me coming out of, you know, training camp or anything like that. And so it's, it's one of those things where you start to see some potential and uh, maybe jump on it, jump on it early, set someone on your bench for a little bit or keep them on your radar just to see what's going on at the talks in the media about this person. Um, but that's, yeah, that's, that's a tough question. That's the question we're all trying to answer. <laughs> well, speaking of your own team, you were third in targets, on the Chargers last year behind the two great wide receivers. Um, are there enough targets to go around on the Chargers that you think that you see anybody else? I'm not talking about necessarily the guy backing you up or splitting time with you, but with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, are there are there enough targets to go around that there's anyone you would recommend from your own team that you're watching every day? Mm. See, we have some great players like, like uh, Joshua Palmer. This guy is a stud. But he's also behind Keenan and Mike Williams, you know, so like you're asking, is there enough to go around? And it's like, man, those guys are going to be eating up. It's going to be more likely it's going to be me, Keenan or Mike getting the ball. Right. You know, we have Gerald. We just picked up him, Gerald Everett's, you know, our tight end that's coming in. So definitely he's going to be seeing some uh, some some uh, some attention. Um, But then it's like, okay, is there one of these receivers that is going to get it behind him? You know, we have, you know, Jalen Guyton, who's kind of our deep you know, our deep ball guy who could, you know, score you three points or score you 25, you know, if he has a couple, you know, big catches and a touchdown. Um, and so Josh Palmer, as would say, is more of our, like our slot guy that can do pretty much do it all anyway. And so that's who I would say, if I were to pick someone on our team that might see some more attention uh, than those three receivers, I would say Joshua Palmer. So speaking of the slot, we actually spent an episode, a really dramatic episode yeah. of the Underdogs <laughs> podcast discussing... Dramatic, huh? It was. I mean, I guess, how would you frame it? We had a theory, right, that, that slot receivers might have, you know, playing heavy time in the slot might increase pro, uh, production because, you know, it's a maybe more efficient place, more targets flow there. But it seems like, Peter, tell me if I'm explaining this right, that defensives, defenses have adjusted in recent years... And if there once was an edge to playing more on the slot, it's kind of disappeared. Um, what do you think sort of is there, is there a, a matchup now in an offense that you, you feel like if you're a receiver, you're, you're a running back, like, you know, okay, I get that role. I'm going to eat a little bit. Like, is there still a, 
a place where you could take advantage of a defense if you get snaps in a certain spot. See, it all comes down to the personnel. You know, what's what's unique about the NFL is we all run the same things. Like, it's not a lot of different schemes. We all have the same scheme, but we just cater it more towards our playmakers. You know, I think of, I think of you know, Jamar Chase over with the Bengals. Like, he he's not in the slot. He's going to be out wide. He's going to run by. He's going to run these deep overs. He's going to run. He's going long because he's fast, right? And he's got good ball skills. You know, Tyreek, you know, obviously one of those in the same category. You know, and they're playing against against his strengths, put him off some crossers and things like that. Where it's, it's sure, it could still be in that slot area, but it's like he's a strength. We're going to send him deep. We're going to send him over. And so it's like we have Keenan Allen who's going to be able to route everybody up. Like he's going to get open. I don't know how he does it. He has his magic and he gets open almost every single play. And so it, you have to play to your strengths, your guys. And like I said, we're all running the same plays, but we might run a lot more slot type plays to get Keenan one-on-one with a, with a nickel or with a, you know, inside backer. Cause that's a favorable matchup. If Keenan's one-on-one with anybody, it's a favorable matchup for us. Um, you know, if they start sitting in zones, then we have, you know, some zone beaters that we adjust off of. So it, it really comes down to the team. It comes down to the player. And I think that's, what's really unique about the NFL is because it comes down to players making plays. And when you're talking about the slot position, if you just have an average slot, then hopefully you have, you probably have some other stud on the outside or someone who can run, take the top off to at least open it up for that person underneath. And they'll come back to them later. But yeah, you know, the slots obviously easier throws, but you have to have someone that can get open and understands defenses and leverages and get into the right spots. Um, and when you have someone like uh, on our team, Keenan, who's a master at it, then yeah, he's going to be consistent. That's why he catches a hundred balls for the last, you know, four years. Yeah, what's interesting about that, what Jordan was saying is, is that for a few years, you didn't have to have a guy who was super fast or who people regarded as super talented, like your top wide receivers on the outside, to gain an advantage in the slot because defenses hadn't caught up to what you're saying yet. You just had to have somebody, if you had somebody who could run routes really well and had awareness of where they were on the field, they could... You know, there were guys like Wes Welker, or, or this is how Victor Cruz broke out originally, right? I mean, guys like when Marcus Colston first emerged, like these guys who were all of a sudden running these inside routes and playing in the slot and getting 90 or 110 catches a year. But that seems to be over. You seem to have to have like super talented players to gain an edge there because the defenses seem to have caught up, partly because we were talking about this earlier today, guys like Derwin James, like, the, the Chargers have been able to move him all over the field, but he's been unbelievably affected in the slot since the first day he was drafted. Yeah, and guys like that that are physical, big, super athletic. Like, I mean, he's he's a unicorn himself. That's why he you know became the highest paid safety. <laughs> you know, so he's a guy. Shoot, we'll play him on as you know in the DN spot, rushing off the edge, <laughs> play him over the top. We'll play him on the slot. We'll have him guard running backs. Like he's a guy that you know you know, is an anomaly to the, to the sport, um, kind of like a Micah Parsons type of guy where it's like, man, this guy can do it all. The thing is in the slot, you know, it doesn't take much to get open, but that little bit, cause it's, it's a quick throw, right? Like all you need is a, a step or half a step, boom, half a step, you're open, boom, put the ball on you right now. Um, and so that's why it's so hard, right? And it's so hard to guard these guys in the slot. So as defensive schemes start, you know, okay, let's chip this guy out here. You know, now they might, now they might line up a DN over the top slot, chip this guy, and then they'll go rush him, right? Because they're like, hey, we'd rather give up a little bit of pass for us to give him an easy throw right across. So defense has been smarter about, okay, hey, we have to be cognizant of these guys, you know, chipping us down the field. Um, but one thing I will say too, because I think the slot game will always be there, um, that Coach Staley says is it, it takes, it takes 
you know, a lot more five yard, you know, runs, catches to equal one 40 yard catch. Right. So it's like, hey, that's why you see defenses, you know, maybe a little bit softer in the slot because they're making sure you're not going to gash them and they're going to say, hey, you're going to make a mistake before you can chip us down the field, you know, five yards at a time. Um, and so that comes into play as well. It's like it's like it's a give and take. You know, what do you want to really defend the most the deep parts of the field? Hey, Austin. So you t- you talked about earlier. By the way, that was a great answer. That was way smarter and way better, more information than we could ever come up with. So that's why you're on the show, um, Austin. So I, I noticed uh, earlier you talked about how you wanted um, someone to shoulder the burden a little bit more this season going into the year, so that you're fresher and and just yeah. better able to withstand the rigors of the uh, the NFL football season come week 16, 17, etc. To me, that is going to be construed to someone outside being like fade Austin Eckler this year. Cause his touches are going to be weighed down and he's wants to stay fresh for the postseason. And my fantasy season doesn't care about the postseason, right? They care about <laughs> how many points you're going to get. So walk us through that. Like your ADP, I'm guessing, you know, this cause you're in this game is quite high. I think you're like three, right? Do you think that your efficiency, that your health and your ability to evade uh, defenders and be able to be fresh down the stretch is going to compensate for the lack or the diminished touches that you'd like to see? I think that's why I've been so efficient, so high ranked in you know fantasy is because of my efficiency and where particularly is my efficiency in the red zone? Yes. Scoring touchdowns, right? And so even if I'm not getting all of these carries and things like that, I am in the game in the red zone and I'm getting into the end zone. Right. And so what does that equate to equates to more fantasy points, touchdowns? That's what you want to see. So even if I am getting some taken off of me out in the field and things like that, when it gets down to the red zone, who are they putting in the game? They're putting me in the game because they know I can get loose. I can get in the zone. Yeah. Right. And so that's that's why I want to be said like, sure. You know, maybe it takes off some, some, you know, 40, 50 yard runs that I could potentially pop off. That's really not my play style. You know, I'm fast. I'm not like that. I'm not like the Jonathan Taylor's Derek Henry is going to be breaking that. Will I ever once in a while? Yeah, hopefully. Uh, but if you watch my game, it's a lot of just efficient runs, four five, six yards, you know, get down in the red zone. Now we may be able to pop one into the end zone type of guy. Um, so when people say like, oh, like he wants someone to take it off. It's not, it's, yeah, absolutely. I want to save my body. Like I'm trying to play for a long time. Um, and I understand I'm not, I don't have this huge ego. That's like, Oh, I need to take every single rep. Cause I'm the best player ever. Like, yeah, I want to be efficient, but I also want to be cognizant of, Hey, my body is getting hit. It's breaking down. I want to play for a long time. I need someone else to take some of the load off of me. Um, does that mean I'm going to be less efficient? Absolutely not. In, in my opinion, it means I'm going to be more efficient because now I feel even better, especially when I'm mm-hmm. in the red zone, I'm, I'm ready to go. Okay. That, that ranks up with Keyshawn Johnson as the best self-explanation of a player <laughs> I've ever heard for drafting him in fantasy. Like I'm in awe, like all fantasy owners are because they're like, yeah, I don't have a big enough ego to want to carry the ball every time we touch it, but I have a big enough ego to want to be in position to score 27 touchdowns. Right. Damn it. Yeah, right. that's right. Yeah, exactly. Well, what you're saying is touchdown regression is not coming. No touchdown regression, 20 <laughs> touchdowns sustainable. Hey, we got to push the bar, you know, you know, LT had like 32 <laughs> one year. I'm like, man, you know, let's try to get there. <laughs> so we, we've all been there with fantasy teams where you have the running back who gets taken out near the goal line and you agonize over a guy who's running for 1200 yards, but gets two touchdowns. Right? That's not going to happen with the chargers is what you're saying. Look, even last year, even last year, the, the true goal line reps, like they were subbing me out, right? Like I, I got some of them and put some of them in the end zone, but 
a lot of those I was subbed out on the true one, two yard line. Um, and people don't actually understand that because I was able to score from further out most of the time. You're not crazy further out, but you know, 10, six, you know, eight yard line or in there. So that's why I'm so efficient. Like, Hey, I can score. I don't need to be on the one yard line. If I, if it is, so be it. But if not, then, you know, I can put it in from a little further out. Can you help us understand? I think uh, Jonathan Taylor had something like 92 red zone touches or something like that. And like yeah. twice as much as anybody else or somewhere close to that. Does that stat just blow your mind? Just hearing that someone could possibly get that kind of volume? Not really, because when it gets in the red zone, it gets really hard to throw the ball. You don't have as much field in the vertical side, right? So everything's a little bit more condensed. So when everything's condensed, it gets really hard to throw the ball. So what what are you going to result to? Especially if you, have, if you have a stud running back, you know, like like Jonathan Taylor, you're gonna you're gonna try to run the ball. You're gonna run run the ball in. So that, it doesn't surprise me. It's a lot. It's definitely a lot of uh, <laughs> attention down there in the red zone. But it makes sense. It makes sense when you when you. Man, I wish you guys, I wish everyone could sit on a Coach Staley team meeting because the things he talks about, the philosophies, is all of this stuff. Just really, he's a guru of football. Um, and he talks about it. He's like, we have to be able to run the ball in the red zone. Like, that's what we have to because people, two people are going to get doubled and then everyone else is singled up. So there's not a lot of field left or they're going to drop eight. And now we got to, someone's got to get open. Right. But if we can run the ball, we take all that out of the equation because now we can, you know, chunk it down and we don't have to worry about, you know, people getting open and double coverage, things like that. So the fact that they're giving him that many, that many carries, they're playing to the strength of their offense, which is Jonathan Taylor running that ball. So I'm not surprised at all. Mm. Hey, Austin, to get you out here, I wanted to know what was the weirdest town that you've played football in? The weirdest town. You mean going all the way back to the... All the way back. Wow. The prairie days. You know, Western Colorado days. Wow. The Eaton, Colorado, Western Colorado. The weirdest town... I mean, Eaton would be like a spot that's kind of like out there in the middle of nowhere. One stop, stoplight town. That's where I played high school uh, football at. But it wasn't like strange or anything. It was just farm town. Farm town, oil and gas (laughs) everywhere. When we played New Mexico Highlands, that place is in the middle of nowhere. Um, out in New Mexico, and it's in the middle of a desert. So, wow. I don't know. There's nothing because when you say weird, like for us, like there's nothing like crazy that happens. We get off the bus, get in the hotel, go to the game, get back on the bus, leave. You know, so I guess there's not enough time for exploring to have any stories that like, oh yeah, at this one place, this happened. I thought Austin might say Oakland. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's good. <laughs> Uh, one time we did have to have a 25 hour bus ride oh. and D2, we didn't have the luxury of flying on planes. And so we went and played Humboldt state out in California, Northern California. And we drove all the way from Colorado and you drove 25 hour bus ride. Oh yeah. my God. So that was the thing. How did you guys do in that game? I sprained my wrist extremely bad. Because <laughs> you're sleeping on it on the bus. Holding your head up. Yes. Yeah, not in the game. <laughs> yeah, on the bus. No, and it, it was downpouring rain, but it was still like 70 degrees out. So that was pretty strange actually for us. Like just straight up monsoon, but it's warm. So that was strange. But yeah, Humboldt State. That's a good answer. Is that real? Humboldt State? Humboldt. Oh, okay. Was that a Humboldt brag? <laughs> all right, Austin, you convinced all of us here to draft you number one overall in fantasy now. Your ADP should be at number one on everyone's draft list. I appreciate that. We're going to drive that ADP up. Yeah. Let's get it. Let's go. I appreciate how you guys have me on, though, and looking forward to the next time. Let's do it. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. 
But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. What's that? Do you guys hear that? That's Vet the Bet! Let's go! Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, that's right, it is the internet's hottest new game show. We have another edition of Bet the Bet. Vet the bet. For some reason, I hear the crowd screaming vet the bet after I say that. Looking for a seatbelt to strap in like an amusement park ride. This is always so much fun. Jordan, are you still losing? We're like 20-something weeks into this. Are you you're still lagging behind, right? Much like Rocky in Rocky Four, I've been training in an undisclosed location, <laughs> rolling logs, getting ready to jump back in the lead. So if you don't know what vet the bet is, shame on you. Yeah. But secondly, this is where I... Your host, Tom Haberstroh, I get my hands dirty researching the history of a particular bet, and I quiz the panel about the findings. Today, as always, Peter Keating and Jordan Brenner, welcome to Vet the Bet, my contestants. You don't have to come up with like a weird story like you do on Jeopardy about what your your whole <laughs> life is about or anything like that. I'm a part-time taxidermist who enjoys pickleball. You have to pick one. You can't do two stories. Right. What if I play pickleball with the stuffed animals? Now that is a story. Yeah, I think you have to sneak that in and so the host can say something like, I understand you're a pickleball enthusiast, and not only that, you met Justin Verlander while you were while you were playing. Enough about Justin Verlander. <laughs> I know where you're going with the Verlander stuff, Peter, but we're not gonna do that. We're not gonna do that. Okay. <laughs> what we are gonna do is play a little vet the bet. Here it is. I'm not going to say you have to hold your hands up so I know you're not Googling this as I'm asking the question. But in the last 10 seasons in the NFL, there have been 65 teams who have seen their preseason over under win totals listed at six and a half or lower. This, according to SportsOddsHistory.com, our trusted friends over there. How many of those 65 teams actually made the playoffs? Ooh. I like this. Made the playoffs. Hmm. I'm going to repeat. In the last 10 seasons in the NFL, there have been 65 teams, 65, who have seen their preseason over under win totals listed at six and a half wins or fewer. How many of those teams actually made the playoffs? Now, what I'm going to ask you to do here is text or put it in the chat directly to me. Mm -hmm. So I know you're not going to be influenced by your counterparts answer. You know what's interesting about this is the six and a half number. Most of that was with the 16 game schedule. So you're looking at teams that in some cases were like seven and nine, right? To just hit the over. 
as opposed to now, six and a half in a 17-game schedule, a little further from the playoffs, right? Yes, a little. I believe that the increased distance is one game. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay. Whoever is closest to the mark wins. Okay. So I'm not even doing it a multiple choice because I started doing it and I was like, you know what? I want to do something new this week. Jordan has put in his answer. Peter's looking at things. No, no, no. His hands may be moving. No, no, no. As usual, I am just trying to figure out how to direct message Tom on the chat. I did it to everyone. Oh, okay. I don't fear you looking at my answer. Wow. There is a plot twist here. Maze has decided to put in his answer. Oh, Maze only did it to Tom? Yes. That cunning devil. The answer is 10. That was going to be my original. Oh, I had 10, and then I talked myself into, wait, the 16-game schedule. What did Maze say? Maze wins. Oh! What was his number? Maze picked seven. Seven. Seven, a difference of three. Oh. Peter, you had a difference of six. And Jordan, you come in last with eight over. I had 10 written in the chat, and then I talked myself out of it with the 16-game schedule and went to 18. Always trust your first instinct, boys and girls. Learn the lesson. Well, your results here, Jordan, are that you got in last. Cool. Manish Tana. Why should this day be any different from any other? How many minutes are we now into Rocky? Where does the big Jordan comeback start? I'm getting off the canvas in this contest. Tom, why don't you explain? We in Rocky 3 yet, Jordan? Mute button. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to create the first annual Underdogs, Underdogs NFL Draft. I like the double dogs. This year, using the same barometer of six and a half wins or fewer, currently on our DraftKings trusty website, at the time of this recording, there are eight teams at that six and a half win threshold or lower. Those eight teams are Detroit, Jacksonville, Carolina, all at six and a half, Chicago at six. Seattle, five and a half. The Jets at five and a half. Atlanta at five and Houston at four and a half. Now I'm going to bring in Mays here because I want to understand what you guys think about a point system here is if we have eight teams, four contestants, we got to figure out the draft. So we know that Mays is picking first. How are we going to hash out the draft order here? Is it a snake draft? It's definitely a snake draft. I think it goes me, Peter, Jordan, Tom. Tom gets the hammer picks here, back to back. Okay. So I got first and last. I'm Ricky Bobby in this thing. There you go. I like it. What about the point system? I think the goal really is to just get the over. If you get over by one win or three wins, I don't think it matters. And maybe a slight bonus for the playoffs. I think the bonus should be substantial. If you're plus 800 to make the playoffs and you team actually makes the playoffs, you should get 800 points. That's ridiculous. I think the playoff odds should factor in because Tom just told us that 10 out of 65 have made the playoffs. One per season. Right. How about this? You get 500 points if you hit the over, and then you get half the playoff odds as a bonus. But shouldn't you get more points if you hit the over by more? No. You don't get more money if if you bet in Vegas. You either win or you don't. All right, I don't have a gavel here, but do we want to agree on the 500 and then half of your playoff odds, or do we want full playoff odds? I think it should be full playoff odds, man. That's my vote. Is he forecasting a Texans pick? I think he is. I think he's showing his hand. You know what? If the Texans make the playoffs, he should win anyway, so I'm fine with that. (laughs) Exactly. That's true. Yes, I like that. I think if one of these teams makes the playoffs, that team should win. And if two teams makes the playoffs, then it gets interesting. Sure. I mean, there are huge stakes. Massive. On the line here. Pride. All right, so 500 if we hit the over. 
plus your playoff odds if your team makes the playoffs. What about a 100-point boost for every additional win above your over? That's good because it's, it's a tiebreaker if these teams don't make the playoffs, but multiple people have one or two overs. So if you're Detroit and they win seven games, they're over under six and a half. You get 50 points. Court is adjourned. 500 points. 100 additional above your over-under, and then if you make the playoffs, you get your playoff odds. With the first pick in the underdogs, underdogs draft, NFL season style, Anthony Mays selects... First pick is actually a curse here, but I am going to go with what I think is actually the best team on the list. So I'm going to take... Carolina, oh. six and a half plus 350. Oh. oh, I can't stand you. I spent the morning when I didn't think we were doing it this style, preparing for why Carolina was going to be my pick. I think that's excellent, Maze. Excellent. Would you like to explain your reasoning before I do? It's going <laughs> to come down to Christian McCaffrey's health, but they have a talented running back. They have a talented receiver. They got Robbie Anderson, who has regression rate from those clam hands. It's from Tom's hometown. So I had to take that away from him. Yep. Very upset about this, but we can trade. I think the two other sneaky things about this team is one, they were 14th in DVOA on defense last year. A lot of volatility in that group, but they could be really good. The other thing is their schedule. I I don't think that division is good at all. The Saints don't scare me. The Falcons are God awful. And the Bucks have some serious line problems. Plus there's other winnable games on their schedule. I I love this pick. And they have... A better quarterback than they had the last couple of years. Baker Mayfield, not Sam Darnold. Or Cam Newton. <laughs> Brought in off waivers. Do we know that they're not going to get Cam Newton, though? Yeah. <laughs> He's available. Do we know? Week 13. <laughs> yeah. After Baker causes trouble and Darnold is benched, Cam Newton. All right. So Mays has selected my yep. Carolina Panthers with the first pick in the draft. Peter Keating, since... You were second closest to the vet, the bet answer. Who is your selection in the second spot? I will take a team we all have discussed and we all like for familiar uh, reasons. Come on. The Detroit Lions. The arrows are pointing up. They had a great draft. They got offensive and defensive lines both coming together. They have players emerging as really fine players like Amon Ross St. Brown. And last year they lost a couple of – well, they lost many – close games. They're obviously a motivated group with a coach that they love. What's not to like? Uh, Also, I think there's air to let out of Green Bay's performance last year. I think the Bears may be the worst team in football. There's wins that they're ready to pick up. Over under of six and a half plus 400. Give me the Lions. Well, as we all know, as longtime listeners of the show know, I I put money on the Lions over and to make the playoffs months ago. Wow. So you're, you're stinging right now. Which means I now have to root for Peter. Well, <laughs> the, the easy way to do that is just to split your winnings with me when the Lions do well. That's all. I'll see you around Thanksgiving. Did you just invite him to Thanksgiving dinner at the Keating <laughs> household? You bring the turkey. You bring the turkey with your Detroit Lions winnings. The turducken. <laughs> the turducken, yes. Oh. Shesterkin. <laughs> Two things going for the Lions, right? Their Pythag last year, five and twelve, and they actually were three and what fourteen last year. The injuries, they were fifth most man games lost. Shout out to mangameslost.com. Did you buy the site yet? <laughs> is man games lost? It is for sale. Still for sale, yeah. There may or may not have been a GoFundMe for mangameslost.com. Now I'm now I'm questioning the the credibility of those numbers. Um 
So they were, they were very injured last year. They had a lot of close losses of three points or fewer. They had five losses within a field goal last year. So maybe things start swinging the other way. Great draft, like Peter said, and they have a really good offensive line. I, I just get worried about Goff. It's a weird thing to say about a 3-14 and 14 team, right? But the Lions were involved in a lot of exciting games, a lot of 50-50 games last year. They just lost most of them. I sense that Jordan might be 50-50 on his next pick. He doesn't seem confident. That'd be a better hit rate than vet to bet. He's got two of his teams off the board at the number three pick. Jordan Brenner is selecting. If you recall, I placed actual money on two teams in the spring. So I'm going to go with the other one. I like how you say, if you recall, as though all of us are tracking your gambling history. Our <laughs> listeners are dedicated, intelligent, observant people. Hi, Jordan's dad. Unlike you. <laughs> Shout out to Jordan's dad. <laughs> With the third pick, I'm selecting the New York Jets. Wow. Over five and a half wins. And I'll explain why. Unlike a lot of bad teams, I actually expect them to have a solid offensive line, which will allow them to run the ball, allow them to stay in games, protect their quarterback. I think Brees Hall is going to be excellent. I think Michael Carter is a good number two back. Second thing. Their defense has some real, real potential. They get Carl Lawson back. They've got Sauce Gardner. Solomon Thomas joins the team with Quinn and Williams inside. There's some potential there to, again, stay in games defensively. And then here's the really sneaky thing. Their early season schedule is a bitch. Like, that's going to be a problem these first seven, eight weeks. I could see them going like one in six or something like that. But here's the thing. In the back end of the schedule, they've got Chicago at home. They've got Detroit at home. They've got Jacksonville at home, and they're at Seattle. There are a lot of potential wins in that schedule. Or potential losses to other teams on this list. Those are going to be big moments for Jordan. Yes. We're thinking positively, but if they can squeeze out a couple early wins, maybe week two against Cleveland at home, maybe they upset the Bengals, they've got the Dolphins at home, maybe they shock Aaron Rodgers on the road. You never know. I think they can fly over this five and a half like a big jumbo. Jet. Wow. I mean, they have a quarterback who their coach said had the greatest preseason in NFL history. Joe Flacco? An elite quarterback. Elite. But we're not, I'm not talking about their quarterback position right now because that is obviously the thing that will most likely sink this pick. Torpedo. But Elijah Moore, guys. Elijah Moore. Come on. Moore is more. Can't knock that. All right, Tom, you're up. Two picks in a row. What's it going to be? With the fourth pick in the underdogs, underdogs draft. Team Tom selects Jacksonville Jaguars. Mm. Yes. Trevor Lawrence's big year two bump. Addition by subtraction of Urban Meyer. He is gone. Etienne and James Robinson in the backfield. He's recovered. Christian Kirk is going to take over as the wide receiver one. I love the Jags over this year. And you know what? It's just basically all about Urban Meyer. He's gone. That's all I care about. Still seven wins. It's a lot of wins. So you're projecting at least a 7-10 and 10 record for the Jaguars. You know who was around that same spot last year? The Bengals. Second year quarterback in Joe Burrow. I like this pick. Not to say that they're going to the Super Bowl. I don't know if that point system we should be figuring out if one of these teams. Yeah, I think if one of these teams makes it to the Super Bowl. <laughs> you just automatically. They probably won the odds. That'd be my guess. They were at six and a half wins last year. They won 10 and they went to the Super Bowl. So I'm going with the 
Jacksonville Jaguars. And with my fifth pick, because I have the hammer here coming back around, the Houston Texans. Ooh. At plus 1,600 playoff odds. Tom saw that big number. Ladies and gentlemen, the Texans are back. New coach. Lot of expectations last year on the whole Deshaun thing. Lot of just total combustion and smoke. I don't know what to think about this new running back, the rookie running back. Called him Damian Price earlier today, and that's not his name. Pierce. Damian Pierce. RB1. He's got the full reins here now. He doesn't have to worry about Marlon Mack. He's on the practice squad. I'm going Houston Texans with the underdog, underdog pick. There's no other team that has odds over plus 1,000 other than the Houston Texans. I want to have fun this year. I am going to be a Texans fan on this show. Texans and Jags. And you've left me with absolute crap. I mean, this is gross. I'm curious which team Mays has to pick at the end. I mean, it's not up to me. I'm going to be left with whatever you guys didn't pick, and that team might do well. You never know. Just to recap the board for our listeners, we got the Falcons remaining at five wins. We got Seattle at five and a half and Chicago at six. And honestly, I would take the unders for all of these. I think they're terrible. Ugh, I cannot take the Falcons. I think they might win two games. They're brutally bad. Seattle has Geno Smith at quarterback. Yeah, but you just took a team that has Joe Flacco at quarterback. Yeah, and I can't see the Bears finding a way to win more than six games. So this is just awful. All right, here's what I'm going to do because it's going to take me head to head on Peter. I'm going to take the Bears at six and hope that the Bears beat the Lions both times they play this year. Oh. I have very little faith in this pick, but they can run the ball. Maybe Justin Fields makes a second-year jump. Cole Komet's a good tight end. Darnell Mooney's a good receiver. The Bears can play some defense. Maybe they sneak into a 7-10 and 10 record. I don't feel good about it, but I'd feel worse about either of the other two. The choice then for the seventh pick is easy. I will take the Seattle Seahawks because I think Atlanta... It was funny watching the Atlanta Jets preseason game, listening to the announcers struggle. Nobody wants to say, no national announcer anyway, ever wants to say this game is over or this team sucks. So the, the descriptions they were trying to apply to <laughs> the, the the Falcons' recent acquisitions were just were, were comical. The team is bereft of talent. Here's the thing. Seattle lost five games last year by three or fewer points. They did not win any games that were that close. I think the whole Russell Wilson has to go, Russell Wilson didn't deliver, what can we get for Russell Wilson? Should we keep Russell Wilson or Pete Carroll? All of that was unnecessary. If they had just kept the team together one more year, they would have been fine because they were a lot better than they looked. So everything they've done is a severe overreaction. However, the players who are left are still better than they looked. I know Bill Barnwell just rated their offseason as the worst in football, <laughs> but they brought in a great pass rusher. They brought in Charles Cross, the offensive lineman in the draft. Some of the guys they got back, like like Font, have talent. Is Geno Smith going to make it through a full season playing well or healthy? Who knows? But with the teams that are left on the board... I, I think they have a little bit of a bounce back. Yeah, I'll take him at five and a half. Yeah, you sound really happy about that. I think he talked himself into it there at the end. <laughs> yeah. well, don't worry, Drew Locke is there if Gino falters. That leaves me with the Dirty Birds, the team that starts a wide receiver at every position. <laughs> Watch out, Marcus Mariota. Were you happy with that? You know what? I had a feeling that Houston would go because of the odds. 
being double, but I will take the second highest odds and the second lowest win total. I think there's a world in which Atlanta could end up with five wins or more, but probably not the one we're living in. Now, are you concerned that your picks are in the same division? Not really. I mean, with first pick and last pick, I did not have a lot of high hopes for my last pick. You just wanted your team. It's going to come down to the first pick. If I made the right first pick, then I'll be fine. And then we're going to be partying here in Charlotte when they make the playoffs. Yeah, I'll be there. Tailgating all day. All right. So the teams are Mays, Panthers, Falcons, Peter, Lions, Seahawks, Jordan, Jets, Bears, and myself. I've got the Jags and the Texans. I don't think we have a, an underdogs matchup in week one. So we're going to have to hold out and, and wait until you yeah, take two or three. Ooh, ooh. What about head to head matchups, Tom? I could get on board with an extra point there or extra bonus. Let's say like 10 points or something if you win head to head. Okay. Like you said, there's division. 10 point swing if you win or lose in the heads up matchup. When Carolina plays Atlanta, it's a net zero for me. All right. So when the Jets play the Bears, I'm in the same situation. Right. And it's 10 points. It's not going to swing anything, but it'll give us something to look at week to week. All right. I'm fine with this. Sounds good. All right. How do you guys feel? Our first underdogs, underdogs draft in the NFL season. That's great. I'm just, I'm already counting the days. So we do the NBA one. This is going to be great. There are actually tiers within those terrible teams. Like there are three or four. We actually like picking and think have an outside shot at doing really well. It's a shame we couldn't go to seven wins as so we could talk about the Giants for a while. You know what's curious is that 48% of the teams listed at eight and eight and a half have made the playoffs in the last 10 years. And the teams that are in the nine range, nine wins, nine and a half, are at 42%. Hmm. That's just another little tidbit here. Question, little just bonus here as we leave this segment. What is the biggest long shot of the last 10 years Biggest underdog to make the playoffs in terms of their preseason over-under. Oh, geez. Last 10 seasons. Was it the Rams the first year of the McVay-Goff show? It was not. It was not. No. This one, it might be kind of an asterisky thing, but the Washington football team over-under five wins in 2020 during the pandemic season, they won seven games and got into the playoffs. Yeah, that's definitely asterisky in the worst division in the history of mankind <laughs> yeah during a pandemic you know what we had austin eckler on the show we should ask him what he thinks about this Can we talk a little uh real football here for a second yeah what you got all right so this is the first year of a very serious contest it's called the underdog underdog draft so we each took two teams projected in vegas for six and a half wins or fewer or fewer. The deep underdogs, yes. Okay. We drafted them as a team with the best chance to exceed that total. So these are teams that are projected six and a half or fewer, but you're saying they're going to get more. I'm going to give you the teams, and if you had been granted the number one pick in the underdog-underdog draft, which of these teams would you have taken, okay? Okay. The Lions were, were at six and a half. The Panthers were at six and a half. The Jets were at five and a half. The Falcons were at five. The Texans, I believe, were four and a half. The Jaguars were six and a half. The Bears were six. And the Seahawks were five and a half. One of those teams to exceed expectations in the biggest way. I would say the Panthers. Oh! Oh, all right. Guess who went number one in our draft? Who's that? The Panthers. The Panthers, yeah, yeah. The reason is, there's a common theme with a lot of those teams. I think it's the the maybe 
uncertainty at the quarterback position. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're good. You're good. Right. Yeah. You you caught yourself. You're like, uh, yeah. un- uncertainty is <laughs> the word. You know, you know, it's, it's just like you have guys and that's why I went with the Panthers. Like you have a guy who's done it before he's led some teams, you know? So it's like, okay. And then I'm obviously they have their stud back too with Christian. Um, if he can put a season together, that's, he's going to be a menace out there and be scoring a bunch of fantasy points. And just the rest of the team too. I think who they got more out there, uh, receivers. Yep. So that, yeah, they got some studs over there. They could, if they stay healthy, they got definitely got a chance. I think they definitely can make a run. That's a good answer, Tom. Have you ever felt better about a pick you've made before? Well, I didn't make that pick. It was Maze. Maze got the number one pick. Oh, it was Maze. That's right. That's okay, right. It was okay. Maze. Our producer. Yeah. Gosh. Wait. So if someone else makes the pick, now you have to pick a different team. Yes. Yes. They're off the board. Okay. Wow. That's pretty cool. I like that. I like that. <laughs> so it went Panthers, Lions, Jets were the top three in order. Okay. No one picked up the Jags, huh? I picked up the Jags. That's right. That's right, Austin. Yeah, I, I would have said them second, man. That's what's up. You know, I think they can put it together. I think, you know, Trevor Lawrence is is coming together. Hopefully they got him some hope. I, we'll see how this receiver situation plays out. I think they got potential. Well, they actually have someone coaching the team this year, too. So that I, I was just going to say, <laughs> if, if you believe in anything like it can't get worse or anything like regression <laughs> to the mean. That is right. <laughs> if you just replace everything with like replacement, literally replacement level talent across the board, they have to do way, way better. Yeah. So they might even recognize who Aaron Donald is if they play him. There's no need to fear a quaver. Underdog is here to save her. Underdog. So here's my question. We've talked pigskin. I can't even say it. What? Talk pinskin? We've talked pigskin. Do we have talk? Talk horsehide. No. What are baseballs made out of? No, we're not going to baseball. We got Peter's. You got a tennis theory. What should we come up Peter's with? Peter's hot fuzzy balls. Feeling hot, hot, hot. Feeling hot, hot, hot. Feeling hot, hot, hot. Yes, it's a segment we like to call hot fuzzy balls. All right, so we're right at the beginning of the U.S. Open. And last year, if you remember, Emma Raducanu, who's already out of the tournament this year, met Leila Fernandez in the finals. And there's a both hugely unlikely, maybe the most unlikely matchup ever. What could explain this? Who the hell knows? But <laughs> just, just end and that's right. the end of our but, segment. But, segment right there. but here's here's something to watch out for, which I bet you haven't, unless you too have been tracking hot fuzzy balls. <laughs> I bet you have not been aware of. You can buy 24 cans of tennis balls on Amazon for about 120 bucks, but there are two kinds for every company that makes tennis balls. There are two kinds of balls. There are, <laughs> this, is, this is true. There are balls with a lot of felt and fuzz on them. Okay. And there are balls which don't have a lot of felt or fuzz on them. Yeah. Typically, the ones that don't have a lot of fuzz. Escaped balls. They're harder balls. They're less fuzzy. Those are called XD at least the ones made by Wilson. The U.S. Open uses Wilson tennis balls. XD means extra duty, extra durable, durable balls. They last longer on rough, tough surfaces, okay, because there's less fuzz and felt on them. You don't want, like, for example, the XD balls when you play on clay, because if there's a lot of felt and fuzz on your tennis balls, it'll clog up with dirt when you hit the clay surface. Okay, so in the U.S. Open, this is what I didn't realize, 
uses different balls for the men's game and the women's game. For the men's game, they use the XD balls with a lot of fuzz on them, a lot of felt, because the heavier the ball, the more resistance because of the felt and the fuzz, the balls will be hit slower, okay? So the US Open actually uses XD balls to slow down the men's power game. But for the women's game, they use the regular balls, the balls that have a lot of felt and fuzz on them. This is not true everywhere. In fact, it's really hard to even find the balls that are the fuzzy balls in Europe. European players have a lot of problems finding balls to practice with to warm up for the U.S. Open. So what happened last year? Emma Raducanu, who struggled all year to hit forehand winners from behind the baseline, all of a sudden, she looked great in Cincinnati. The Cincinnati Open is traditionally a warm-up for the U.S. Open. And recently, this wasn't always the case, but in the past few years, because players were kind of using it to train for the U.S. Open, switched to the same balls as the U.S. Open. Emma Raducanu looked great in Cincinnati. She looked very looked different than when she was relying on power. She was able to control the ball more, and she had a great U.S. Open and was a massive surprise winner. Now, I didn't come up with this insight out of the blue, women who have particularly powerful games, who have great topspin forehands, have been mentioning that the balls used in the US Open make things a little weird for them. Iga Zviatek said, oh my God, honestly, I don't like them, talking about the balls used in the US Open for women. So many women players complaining, they're lighter, they fly like crazy. It's not like it was 10 years ago. We play a powerful game now, but with these balls, she says, they have to tighten their rackets differently and it feels different on your hands and you, she can't get them in Europe. Before she retired, Ash Barty's coach said he didn't see her winning a US Open until they changed the balls because she has a really powerful game. And in the US Open, it's easier to control the ball without having to hit it really hard, which is different because they're actually using a different ball from the men's game. And I'll just mention in Cincinnati this year, a couple of weeks ago, who played in the finals of the Cincinnati Open? Petra Kivita, who was number two in the world like 12 years ago, won Wimbledon a couple of times, but she's 32 now. A couple of years ago at her home in the Czech Republic, she was stabbed in her playing hand. Oh. She wasn't able until Cincinnati this year to show control over attempted forehand winners, to have power and control at the same time. She lost to Caroline Garcia, who was number four a few years ago in the world. But five of the eight quarterfinalists in Cincinnati were unseated. Which means a lot of underdog. A lot of underdog potential, and two underdogs met in the finals, and an older underdog won the Cincinnati Open heading into the U.S. Open. All but two of the men who made the quarterfinals in Cincinnati were in the top 12 in the world. Much, much less underdog action. And that is the tune-up for the U.S. Open. So in the U.S. Open, I think it would pay to find, on the women's side, underdogs who have shown they can win without having overwhelming power. I'll note that Caroline Garcia, who just won in Cincinnati, is plus 1,400. Layla Fernandez, who is uh, playing today as we talk, hopefully she'll still be in by the time we come out. She's plus 2,800, and she was in the finals of the U.S. Open last year. So I'd look for one of those players as opposed to Zviatek, or Zviatek, who uses massive power those players have less of an advantage in the U.S. Open on the women's side than they do almost anywhere else. What does this mean 
for the ultimate underdog in women's tennis. Yes, that's Serena Williams. Okay, so I think so, so Serena, right? Serena won six U.S. Opens despite this relative lack of advantage for power. She must, at, at her peak, she just blew by any effect this was having. Now the question is, has she lost enough of her power and control over exerting maximum power that she's actually helped by this? Or is she still reliant on blowing people away? She's plus 2,200. I'd love to take her as a sentimental and also adrenaline-based favorite, right? I mean, if this is really it, she's not going to leave anything out there. But I, I think this particular effect is for players who haven't exhibited huge power or who maybe are like slightly injured, you know, or don't have to sell out their control in order to generate a lot of force. You don't have to do that as much at the U.S. Open. All right, Peter, thank you so much for your fuzzy balls sermon here. I can't wait for next week's hot, fuzzy whatevers that we're going to talk about. We're hot blank. Stay tuned on the Underdogs Podcast. 